What's your predetermined destiny? To become conformed to the image of His Son. So whether you're a man or a woman, God wants your character to be like Jesus Christ your Lord. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do major differences exist between men and women? What does the Bible have to say about equality between the genders? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 12 of his current series titled Trending Versus Truth. As we once again examine what the Bible has to say about gender and sexuality, Tom will continue to look at the way God has specifically designed the two genders. Tom will explore the roles of men and women, looking at how each has a specific function that together leads to human flourishing. But what is your specific role? And are you trusting how God has designed you? Or are you looking at how the world defines human flourishing? Let's join our teacher to find out more on The Word Unleashed. Satan and the world system that he created constantly seek to undermine marriage and family as God designed it. I mean, it goes all the way back to the garden. You remember what he did with Eve in Genesis 3. What happens there? He says, no, no, I know God said that, but let me let you think about that a little differently. Let me challenge you to reconsider that. What Satan always does, folks, is he, he tempts us to substitute human reason for divine revelation. It happened in the garden. It's still happening today. Well, but I think, respectfully, let me say, who cares? Okay? This is Satan's temptation. Here are some current unbiblical ideas about roles that I think Satan and his system are spawning in our culture. See if you've been influenced by any of them. Refusing to acknowledge obvious physical and psychological differences between the sexes. That's just obvious, folks. And that's how God made us. It's not, it's not sexist to recognize those differences. We are different by divine design. Overtly criticizing and ridiculing the opposite sex. Boy, that is so popular today. If you find yourself in your mind or with your words ridiculing and criticizing the opposite sex, you are, you are taking issue with God the Creator, asserting the inherent superiority of your own sex. This is a universal temptation as well. But realize that is not thinking like God. God made us male and female. We are different by design. Appreciate those differences and realize that we are personally and spiritually equal before God. Assign different roles. Give up the whole championing your sex thing. Denying the distinct biblical roles that God has assigned. We'll talk about that in a moment. Identifying the primary purpose for the differences between male and female as sex. Listen, we live in a world where we are bombarded with the idea that the only reason men and women exist is for sexual gratification. Let me just say to you that God is not embarrassed about sex. He created it for the good of His creatures. It's a good gift, but it is not the ultimate purpose of marriage. What is the ultimate purpose of marriage? Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. It's companionship and for help, 
for assisting one another in the issues of life. Mistaking the primary measure of your manhood or womanhood as the time you spend and the success you achieve in your career. There's a big one. It's a lie. Undermining the biblical priority God has given to the home. I wish I had time to develop this. You know, before the Industrial Revolution, men and women who were married worked together in their homes, on their family, and usually in the family business. But with the Industrial Revolution, all that changed. And what happened? Well, initially, the man left and went out and basically began to see his primary mission in life as what happened away from his home. Guys, that's unbiblical. That's not your primary mission in life. Your career exists as a way to support your primary mission, which is your family. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God says, I have chosen Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. It's not your wife's job. I mean, it is, but it's not primarily her job. It's primarily your job. Deuteronomy 6, men, teach your children to love God and to love his word. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Understand that you may have bought into a secular theory that came with the Industrial Revolution rather than God's way. Women often depreciate the priority of the home by now leaving themselves and looking for fulfillment elsewhere. I'm not saying it's, it's unbiblical for a woman to work outside the home, but Titus 2 is clear that your heart, your priority needs to be your home and family. But our problem isn't just Satan and these worldviews he spends. Our flesh also tries to throw off God's design for men and women in marriage. Look at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3 is part of the curse, the conflict between men and women and their roles begins. And it comes as part of the curse. Genesis 3.16, to the woman God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, in pain you will bring forth children. Now notice the end of verse 16, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now there's a lot of debate about exactly the ins and outs of what that means, but most agree that it's describing the beginning of marital conflict over roles. He will rule likely describes man's temptation to harsh, oppressive leadership in his home and marriage. Sadly, tragically common in marriages around the world. Not right, but common. Yet your desire will be for your husband may very well describe the wife's temptation to be independent from her husband and even to lead and dominate him. Desmond Alexander writes this. He says, these words from the Lord indicate that there will be ongoing struggle between the woman and the man for leadership in the marriage relationship. Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. But Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. This is one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God this ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage driven by the sinful behavior of both in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities. Number three, every Christian 
must reject all unbiblical definitions of manhood and womanhood and pursue God's revealed standard alone. What is God's revealed standard for men's and women's roles? Again, all I can do is give you an outline, a summary outline, but let me do that. First of all, God has established two common priorities for every man and woman. Doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, these are your priorities. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, those are your two life priorities. Secondly, God has set one common goal for the character of every Christian man and woman. Again, doesn't matter whether you're, you're male or female, here's his goal for your character to be like Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29, those whom God foreknew, that is, those whom he chose beforehand to have a relationship with, he also predetermined their destiny. What's your predetermined destiny? To become conformed to the image of his Son. So whether you're a man or a woman, God wants your character to be like Jesus Christ, your Lord. But thirdly, and here's where we get some some difference and distinction, God has also established specific character qualities and priorities that are unique to both men and women. In other words, we share those things, those great priorities, loving God, loving others. We share the pursuit of our characters being like Jesus Christ, but when it comes to our individual sexes, male and female, there are specific character qualities and priorities that God intends for us to pursue. For men, well, turn to Titus chapter 2. You're familiar with this passage. Here Paul lays down for Titus the duties that he's to teach men and women in the church. Verse 2, Titus 2.2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Also, men, while not all men will be elders, 1 Timothy 3 lays down the qualifications for elders in the first seven verses. Those ought to be qualities that every man, whether he ends up being an elder or not, because not everybody's gifted to be an elder, we all ought to be pursuing those qualities. So this is what men should be. There are other passages, of course, but these are a couple of primary ones. What about women? What are the specific character qualities and priorities if you're a woman you should be pursuing? Well, clearly there's Proverbs 31, right? The excellent woman, the the noble, excellent woman is to be like that. 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 to 15, talk about some of the qualities that you ought to be demonstrating as a woman. Here in Titus chapter 2, look at verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. And of course, 1 Peter 3 Verses 1 to 6 also describe some other qualities that as a Christian woman you ought to be pursuing. So here's my question for you, men and women. 
in addition to pursuing Christ's likeness, how serious are you about pursuing and demonstrating those specific character qualities that God says in the Bible should describe you in your sex? Can I just challenge you to read these passages? Study these passages, meditate on these passages, because this is what God says you ought to be pursuing. We all ought to be in our individual situations. Number four, God designed most men and women to be married, but has specifically gifted some for singleness. You see this even in the creation account, right? In Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, as a general rule, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. By the way, this works both ways in the sense of companionship. We were made for relationship. We were made for companionship. A lot, of, a lot of single people who aren't gifted for singleness wonder why they're so lonely. Because God made marriage to give you that companionship. Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God's design as a whole for mankind was marriage. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul begins this chapter making the same point. Verse 1, Paul begins this section by answering some questions he had received in a letter from the Corinthians. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, and I think the next phrase should be in quotation marks. In other words, this is, this is something they said and asked him about. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, they're talking, that's a euphemism for sexual relationships. They're saying, you know, maybe in light of all of the issues that it, it brings and all the problems, maybe it's just good if there isn't a sexual relationship, even in marriage. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2 and following, absolutely not. No, God has given the sexual relationship in marriage in part, not total, but in part for our, our purity. And so therefore, verse 3, fulfill your duty to one another. You, your body isn't your own, verse 4. Verse 5, stop depriving each other sexually unless you agree for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. And verse 6, he says, and I'm not saying you have to separate for a time for prayer. I'm saying... If you do, make sure it's only a short time. And then he says, having, having stressed marriage, in verse 7 he says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Paul was single. He says, however, this is key, each person, each man has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. In other words, you are either gifted for marriage by God or you are gifted for singleness. That's a gift. And he goes on to talk about how singleness can be an advantage. In verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. His interests are divided. He's not saying it's bad. He's saying, let me tell you an advantage that comes with singleness. If you're gifted for singleness, boy, you can devote yourself in even a, even a fuller way to serving Christ. By the way, did you notice... The purpose of singleness, you, if you're not married, I want you to listen to me. The purpose for singleness is not selfishness. It's not so you can do what you want without being tied to another person. That's ungodly thinking. The purpose for singleness is so you can commit yourself to serve the Lord more, to serve the kingdom. By the way, if you're single or you want to understand the gift of singleness better, 
Read John Piper's foreword in the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by, by Piper and Grudem. Excellent summary of the importance of, the value of, even the benefit of singleness. Number five, as we think about God's standards, God designed that most married men and women will have children. Now, biblically and historically, it's clear that it's not always God's plan for all married couples to have children. And if, if that's true of you, if you're married and that's true of you, understand you're not second class. That's not God's second best for you. That is God's absolute best for you as a couple. At the same time, understand that children were part of God's design for marriage. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Chapter 4, verse 1, now the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth. Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, not only teach that unbiblical divorce is sinful, but teach that it's God's plan for most marriages to have offspring and for believers to have godly offspring. And of course, we just saw it in Titus 2. The older women are to encourage the young women to love their husbands and what? To love their children. This is God's plan. Number six, God designed men and women for unique roles. God designed men and women for unique roles. First of all, in marriage and family. It's interesting, in, in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, we read it a moment ago, God charged both Adam and Eve to work together to subdue the earth, to utilize its resources. But God assigned Adam the role of leading and in chapter 2, it's clear that God created Eve specifically to be Adam's what? Helper. Ladies, don't be embarrassed by that. This is God's design. This is God's purpose. This pattern runs throughout Scripture. In fact, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, God created Adam first, not Eve, and He made Eve out of Adam in order to establish the principle of male leadership in the home and in the church. So let me be very clear with what the Scriptures teach when it comes to roles. First of all, men were made to lead in their marriages and homes by serving their wives and families in a gracious, sacrificial way, shepherding them toward the Lord. Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. But guys, don't you for a moment think you have some sort of domineering, authoritative right? What's that leadership to look like? Ephesians 5 goes on to say, it's a look like Christ loving, sacrificial leadership for His church. And anything less than that is a lie about Jesus Christ. Amen. Wives, what about you in the home? You were made, according to Scripture, to be helpers, life givers, and nurturers submitting to your husband's leadership. Genesis 2.18, why did God make woman? The Lord God said, I will make him a helper suitable for him. A helper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, it says that man has his birth through the woman. There, woman is described as the life giver in the sense that she carries and gives birth to each new life. And of course, multiple passages, 
call for wives to submit to their husband's leadership. Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3. Ladies, please don't misunderstand, and men don't misunderstand. Submission is not demeaning. It's not about value or equality. It's about role. Jesus Christ, our Lord, submitted to the Father. And understand that supporting, nurturing, helping doesn't make you as a woman less valuable or important. Think about it. What is the primary description of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is called by Christ the Helper, the Helper who would come, and the Comforter. These are not demeaning roles. They are roles assigned by God. So we're not talking about personal value. We're not talking about personal importance or spiritual equality. All of those things are true, male or female. We're talking about assigned role. Frankly, there are women who can lead far better than their husbands, just like there are privates, in some cases, who can lead far better than their sergeants. We're talking about assigned roles. That's all we're talking about. What about in the church? Well, God has determined that men whom He has gifted and qualified are to lead in the church by serving as elders. This is clear at the end of 1 Timothy 2, where he says women are not to occupy this role in the church, and he gives the creative order as part of the reason for that. And then, starting in chapter 3, he says it's to be men. He uses the Greek noun for male. He uses the masculine endings that make it clear we're talking about men. And he says that the elder must be the husband of one wife. That is, he must be a one-woman kind of man. So what about other men? And women, well, they are to use their spiritual gifts to serve in every other ministry, as we saw in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So, folks, that's a brief summary of what the Bible teaches about sex and gender and about men's and women's roles. If you want to study this issue more, and, and I hope you will, let me recommend these books to you. First of all, Gender Ideology by Sharon James. Great book. What Does the Bible Teach About Transgenderism by Owen Strand and Gavin Peacock, Men and Women, Equal Yet Different by Alexander Strock, and Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. If you struggle with this issue at all, or even if you don't, get those books, read them, acquaint yourself with what the Bible teaches. Now let me just say bluntly as we finish our time together, if your own ideas about sex and gender are men's and women's roles, are different than what we have seen from the Scripture today, please understand your ideas did not come from God. They either came from Satan, from the world system He created, or from your own flesh. Because this is what the Scriptures teach. You need to decide who's going to be your authority on issues of sex and gender and men and women's roles. Is it going to be the culture? Is it going to be your own mind? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to be the Scripture, and it's going to be what we learn today. Let God be true, and every man a liar. We live in a world where they don't know they're wet with Satan's lies. Don't let yourself be swept along. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 12 of Trending versus Truth. Tom will have part 13 for us next time, and we hope you'll join us then. 
Well, Tom, as we just heard, the roles for men and women and how they function is often a controversial topic. How should the church respond? You know, Bill, I think we have to understand that these things are not really controversial. I know that some of the things I've said in today's program might be that way to many in our culture, but from a biblical perspective and even from the history of the church, what I've said is not controversial at all. And so it really comes down to us, both as as male and female, to submit ourselves to God's Word, to the commands that Christ Himself has made, to the clear teaching of Scripture. And so my appeal to you would be, when it comes down to what the culture says and what God says, we need to commit ourselves to this reality. Let God be true and every man a liar. We have to believe God, our Creator, before we believe what every voice around us says. May God help us to be faithful to Him and to His Word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social, at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.